Welcome to CFO 4.0, the future of finance. The CFO role is changing rapidly, moving from cost controller to strategic visionary. And with every change comes opportunity. We are here to help you take advantage of this transition, to win at work, drive your career forwards, and lead with confidence. Join Hannah Monroe, Managing Director of ITAS, a financial transformation consultancy, as she interviews key experts to give you real-world advice and guidance on how to transform your processes, people, and data. Welcome to CFO 4.0, the future of finance. So hello everybody and welcome to this episode of CFO 4.0. Um, today we are very excited to announce we have Andrew Collis on the podcast. Now Andrew is um, currently CFO at Moneypenny who are a, a local legend in my area for both their people and also their growth story. So welcome Andrew, fantastic to have you on the show. Good morning, Hannah. Good morning, everyone. Looking, looking forward to this. Yeah. Well, um, so tell us a little bit about yourself, Andrew. Um, how, you know, what's been your journey to Moneypenny? Yeah, so um, I joined Moneypenny in July last year, so I've been with the business seven months. Um, and uh, before that, going back to the start of, of my career, I, I first started off with, with Deloitte uh, and Big Four background, which... Quite a few CFOs do follow the journey, um, and that's probably 20 years ago now. So, yeah, Deloitte, loved it, had a fantastic time, massive wide experience, um, meeting lots of different businesses and, and really um, cutting your teeth um, and, and understanding numbers and performance of business. Um, and from then, I worked at AstraZeneca for, for two years, um, and that, that was Great, that was a great experience, great company, and obviously um, really come to the fore globally in the last last two years with their, their vaccination program as well. So, um, but as, I loved AstraZeneca, but what it really brought home to me is that I wanted to to work in a probably a, a sort of smaller, medium sized, quick growing company, and um, from there. I, I spoke to a few people and I realised I wanted to work in something that was probably private equity backed and um, joined a business called NES Global Talent, which was um, an engineering contract services company um, based out of near Manchester and then had offices, some a few around the UK and then a few, a few across the world. And that was a great journey over... 12 years and that grew globally to 30 different countries, 45 offices and a billion dollars of, of turnover. So um, that, that was a fantastic journey and learned so much on that as well. Um, from, again, culturally dealing with different people and from, from different countries and how to get the best out of them. Um, and real, real quick growth and everything that comes with that. So the funding of it, um, private equity, transactions, um, and really building structure into a business as well. Um, and then from there, I worked at a business called Mobica, which is a software services business. Um, again, private equity backed, and I was there for just over three years. Again, 
great business, um, great opportunity in the marketplace, and and people based as well. And that's a, a recurring theme through my career is is working with people based businesses that that have a technology angle as well. Um, and and that's really one of the pieces that appealed to me around Money Penny, um, and coupled with all the things you mentioned around great culture and, as you said, a, a bit of a, a local legend in the in the in the in the area. So so yeah. So and, and that's that's brought me to to where I am today. So that little long winding path of lots of different experiences. Yeah, and there's so much to, you know, to talk about along the way. So, well, you made a really interesting comment at the beginning about liking working with sort of small to medium but fast-growing businesses. What is it that really appeals to you about those kinds of organisations? The, I think, firstly, no, no day is ever the same. And you have a multitude of, different challenges and problems and I think sometimes you, you work in a big corporate you are sort of narrowing your focus um, and the breadth of challenges that, that come to your door is so so wide um, so for example money penny last year I was getting involved with with recruitment and different things so just a real breadth of of challenges that necessarily you wouldn't see from a a big PLC or big corporate, but it's it's each their own. Every everyone has a a different path, and and that may may really appeal to someone. Does that that sort of narrower focus? Yeah, I was going to say it, it's they are very different, aren't they? Working in a an, in a big corporate, you know, both culturally, but also like you say, in the scope of the role. So it's really interesting to hear that you you prefer that kind, you know, that style. Um, and you know, and to understand also that you you actively looked as well. It sounds like for businesses of that size and with those kind of ambitions. Yeah, absolutely. And and, and part of part of their journey is they all those businesses have had a very entrepreneurial founder. They've been on a great journey, and then it's then that next next part of the journey is then to want to, to bring that structure with it and also how to take the opportunity in the marketplace um, broader is that into different verticals is that into different geographies um, and and how do we go about that yeah because the expansion into different geographies can be quite challenging tell us a bit about your experience because it sounds like you went on a real journey with obviously your previous organization yeah so uh, NES was when I first joined. We had a couple of offices in the US, an office in the Middle East, and, and two in Asia. Um, and then we went on a a great journey in terms of uh, growing more offices in the US, into Canada, Africa, uh, Scandinavia, and, and through Asia as well. So, particularly, I was involved a lot with um, the US, Africa, and Europe. Um, and every country has its own challenges. Um, going and setting an entity up and then starting to trade from that entity um, in Africa or even some European countries, they're not, they're not always easy. And 
the, the, the legwork and the paperwork you have to, to go through. We, we, had, we had two two branches in, in Russia. Um, so again, some of the documentation around that was, uh, was huge and actually just the administration around that as well. And culturally, how different was it? Was there any things that you learnt when, you know, in terms of working with individuals over in those different those countries? Was there culturally a difference in finance? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think biggest thing is it's it's listening to 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 the people in in that country because. Uh, we have a set view, I have a set view, but yeah, and you think that's how it should work, but actually you go and suddenly try and impose that straight away onto people, it just doesn't work. You can be banging heads against the brick wall very quickly. So, and it, it, it yeah, so building, building that relationship and listening to, to the way things are done in that country um, and the nuances there is really important. And then once that's established, it's right. How how do we look to improve this? Um, so we acquired a couple of businesses in Norway where there was an inherent finance team there and, and management team, and it was working with those guys to to get the best out of the team, but equally bringing them into a larger group structure and all the things that are required around reporting and governance and all the things that, that come with that. Yes and that that's a big growth journey to manage isn't it the combination of bringing new people into the team but also the adjustment into how the overall group works and all the policies etc. So so how did you find that process have you got any top tips for anyone that's going on that journey? Yeah so I think from a and it, well, there's both an organic and there's also an acquisition place because when I referred to Norway, we, we, we did that organically initially and then we started to acquire businesses and um, did the same in Canada as well. So what you best thing to do is almost get a playbook, uh, a playbook of from an organic perspective, right? These are the things we need to do from company registration, from appointing a, a lawyer, corporate lawyer, um, accounting firm that can take care of all the initial tax and accounting regulations and filing just to make sure you, you set up properly um, and then all the banking as well so, so again some that we, we take banking for granted in the UK and actually we're, we're pretty advanced in terms of the world around corporate banking believe it or not so um, so it's all those those things and you have a playbook for, for that and and then the same applies for, for acquisitions as well. It's what's the playbook and what am I looking for from an acquisition or the parameters on the acquisition? Um, and then once the business is acquired, right, what's my plan? What do I need to go and do to, to integrate it into, into the wider group? Um, so I think that's the, the biggest thing is, is that playbook and, and working towards that, that playbook and bringing both the current team and also the, the new team along for the journey and, and knitting those two cultures together is massive as well. Yeah, because that's a, that's a big challenge, isn't it? So it sounds like you had a mix of sort of obviously hiring in country for your finance team potentially and also acquisition. Have I got that right? 
Yeah, exactly. No, it's exactly that. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, and it's it, it's yeah, exactly it's getting it's getting that balance right. So how did you approach bringing that team together? Because obviously they're on opposite sides of the world and a very different culturally. So how did you approach it? Um, very much big on in person. So either us us going across to, to whether it was Norway or US, etc., or um, at times that that team or the, the management of that team coming coming to the UK. Um, and I say that, and then given what's happened in the last two years, that the world's slightly changed. Um, and people are successfully doing acquisitions and integrating acquisitions with a lot less face-to-face. Um and it's interesting from a money penny perspective. Uh, money penny acquired a business in the US in February 2020, so a month before the first COVID lockdown. Um, and then both the UK and US went into a big lockdown. So actually, it's really minimised that face-to-face contact. It's all being done um, via by teams um, remotely. So. But what we've really seen the last six to eight months where we've been able to do some more of the face-to-face, it's made a massive difference. And the big, the biggest thing is the culture and actually seeing both both the guys in the US coming across to here and seeing the culture here. We've got, culturally, we've got a very special business. Um, and then taking that back to the US, then equally... Um, the management team from the UK going out to, to the US and, and seeing that and and helping guide them on that journey and that, that integration. Absolutely. And that brings us quite nicely onto the topic of, I guess, culture. So it's not just about inter, about obviously internationally being different, but Moneypenny itself is quite unique, isn't it? So tell us a little bit about the culture that, that Moneypenny have built. Yeah, it's, 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 it's a very special place. The, and it, it stems from founders, Ed and Rachel, brother and sister, um, who founded the business just over 20 years ago, so in 2000. And they, they embodied this, this special culture, this people focus. Um, and they've gone on to achieve great things. And Rachel does a lot of charity work now. Um, and Ed still sits as a, sits as a non-exec on the board. Um, so his influence is absolutely still there. And then that's been very much carried through with Joanna, chief exec, who's been with the business 16, 17 years. Um, and just, uh, it's a huge people focus. We, we put our people first, um, very much a servant leadership style, style. So make sure that the people are happy, um, happy in the environments, happy with the role they are doing. And they will, they'll prosper. Um, and, and then we talk about the environment. It's all the things that go into that. So it's, it's the office, it's, um, it's, it's free, we have free breakfasts, we, we subsidise lunches, um, we have, we've put a gym in, we do yoga classes, we put on different things, box size, all those sorts of things. So, um, it's all those those good things, and obviously that's been impacted by COVID as well. Um, 
And for example, we've got a pub on site as well. So the building was built five years ago. So there's actually a pub on site. But all that's been um, not taken away, but it's really it's been on and off for the last two years. Um, so that's, that's brought its own challenges as well. But it, it's maintaining that culture. And actually, it's great now because start to see people coming back to the office and really keen to get back to the office they actually they want to be in the office um which is great no absolutely because um you know it's, it's going to be interesting isn't it over the next couple of years how people approach where they want to work as much as um in terms of physical location and working from home versus uh you know typically it was kind of the status quo was to work in office but there's, there's a lot changing at the moment Absolutely. And as, as you all know, the rules in Wales are different <laughs> to the rules in England. So we're, we're, we're just inside Wales in Wrexham, so three, four, five miles from the border. So we've got three quarters of our staff are in Wales, a quarter in England. And we've just had to plot our way through with forever changing rules and sometimes the Welsh government very sort of immediate changes in rules and suddenly we've had to get so just before Christmas we had to get 250, 300 people just to work remotely almost overnight like two days and that was in Christmas week so um, it's that's been a challenge and I think unless you're in it you don't really see that and you don't see the logistics and the efforts from everyone to, to make that happen from the support guys, the technical guys, the IT guys to make all that happen and make sure everything's working properly. No, absolutely. And I think there are some unique challenges. Um, we're also on the, the Cheshire Welsh border. It feels like we've got one foot in England and one foot in Wales. And uh, yeah, it, it, it's, it's a bit of a unique situation and particularly during COVID as well. Because um, exactly like you said, we've got some people that really want to be in the office. You know, others are quite comfortable working from home and are thriving that very. But there's quite a few that really feed off the vibe and the energy that comes with a great office environment. So it is a challenging situation. So, so tell me a little bit about the growth piece, because obviously a lot of the businesses that you've worked with have gone on this massive growth journey. And you, you said a really, an, another, many interesting comments, I will just say, around building the structures that need to sit within that high growth environment. So talk to me a little bit about, you know, when you go into a new company and you know they're on that growth journey, what are the sorts of things that you're looking at when you go into that organisation? Yeah, so the, the key thing... I try and understand um, is the drivers of that business. What what are the success measures? What are those key KPIs that, that drive the success of that business? Um, and <laughs> you see now businesses have multitudes of KPIs and metrics and you can have hundreds and hundreds, but actually getting down to, you want to be able to write them on one piece of paper, so you have 12. Um, KPIs and say right these are the, the success measures um, these are the things that really make the business tick um, how do we manage those, how do we improve those, how do we report and manage performance on that um, 
And that's been the same across all those businesses, NES, Mobicare, and, and now Moneypenny. Um, so that's that's one one element. Um, and the second one's really around people and structure of people in the teams and and is is that got the platform in it to to deliver growth or is everyone running around um busy sort of frantic and actually right let's put let's get some structure around it who's who's doing what and and having that platform to to really drive that growth and from a finance perspective that's 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 really important as well because we're as a finance function, we're a partner to, to the business. And how do you, because obviously you've worked in lots of different businesses over the years and, diff, you know, you've come from sort of traditional corporate background into fast growth. How do you see that finance structure? What does good look like to you for like a medium, small to medium sized business to prepare them for growth? Yeah, so there's... There's probably two or three elements to it. There's the transactional side, the transactional team. So accounts receivable, accounts payable, managing the banks on a day-to-day basis, the, the payroll, the the nuts and bolts. Um, there's then a, a second element around all the reporting, so management reporting, um, the, the group reporting consolidation the 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 monthly board reporting and, and requests of investors as well and banks and all the things that that brings um, and then the next one is really around being that business partner to the to the business so that's to the functions that's me to the board me to the stakeholders of the business um and and I'm big believer that finance should be the centre and the heartbeat of of the business. So when we talk about the the KPIs and the performance, actually, um, finance tracking and and reporting on that performance is is really important. So it's probably those three buckets really. Um, and if I look back over the last probably ten years. I think the first two buckets, the transactions and the, the sort of the reporting, the management and the, the board reporting, that's always been there. But what's really um, grown the last 10, 12 years is that is that partnering piece and being a partner to the business and influencing decisions um, around the management table. So, and that's a that's a big focus for for me here as well. So, it's um, but it's great. It's all it's all good stuff. You want to be. And that's when we talk about being involved in those SME type businesses. That that's what I mean. It's it's being involved in that that decision making. Finance just isn't a, a reporting transactional function. No, absolutely, and it's it's an interesting conversation because it's one I have a lot. I think finance can get distracted like you say with the transactional and the 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 legalese that goes around finance and actually building out that commercial piece is so important even to small and medium-sized businesses so how do you approach it have you got a team in place that you're coaching and training up are you looking to bring in what what's your plan yeah so we've got we've got a great team in place um and 
few people have been here for, for a good period of time, so they've seen a lot, a lot of great growth. Um, and so it's it's upskilling those guys. So, right, so and, and brilliant at the transactional side and, and the management reporting. We're improving some pieces around the reporting side. Um, and then we're starting to improve around the, the business partnering side as well. So... Um, it's funny we had a session a couple of days ago on on this this very point. Um, and myself, the FD, and the, the financial controller just going through right. Okay, what are we currently doing, and how how do we how do we take this forwards? What's the what's the next stage? And we made loads of progress last six months of last year. Um, we've we've integrated the the US acquisition properly into the finance team and. Um, we're going to manage the reporting and the partnering from from the UK, which which will work well. Um, so so yeah, it's, it's it's all those things. So it's a lot of upskilling, and then the, the maybe the odd addition to the team just to help strengthen that. Yeah, and because it sounds like you're taking sort of those that have been more focused on the transactional side, but know the business really well into more of a commercial view. So how do you approach that in terms of development and skills? Like, is do you coach them individually? Do you have particular courses and development that you work with them on? What's your what's your approach? Yeah, so it's um, it's more the former. So it's that. In a, I'm doing it in a team environment. So, and so a couple of days ago, it's three of us, and actually brainstorming what that looks like. Um, I I have a view of what good looks like, but that doesn't necessarily mean that's right. But um, it's it's saying right, this is this is where we want to go, and, and getting all those views from around the table, and then once you identify in terms of right, that's the that's the. That's the goal. That's the objective, right? What's the what's the path to to getting there? What are those key things, and and how do we spread that around around the team as we have? And then equally, are there any resource gaps where we do need to bring somebody in to to help um, to help do that? Because you can end up busy on all the transactional and the reporting stuff. Um, but actually, unless you make that that step forwards, and sometimes it is through bringing somebody in, you you, you never quite get there. So, um, so yeah, that's it's it's more the the coaching and that collaborative um, piece. I think innately in finance people, they they enjoy numbers, but they they like business and they want to be involved in business. And sometimes it's it's almost giving them the the avenue and the opportunity. And the platform to, to do that and get involved with the business rather than being um, sort of in the corner of an office, sort of crunching the numbers. Yeah, that if you think of all of the um, the memes that are of finance, isn't it? It's somebody banging away on a calculator or typing into a spreadsheet, and and I think this is a you know we're in a I I think it's a really exciting time for finance. We're in this opportunity where we have these new more commercially focused roles coming out. That I, I think, you know, will make people want to get into finance and to be excited about it rather than just because they like numbers, if that makes sense. So there's a there's a real opportunity, I think, um, in terms of how how the finance team itself is going to develop. Yeah, absolutely. And look, it's 
technology improves and again see I've seen that in the last 10 years and some of the things now managing just accounts payable and automation around that and expenses and different things as the technology improves it, it the transaction piece almost it, it's less intense it, it happens um, it's more maintenance rather than actually having to go and crunch several thousand invoices um, so yeah and then that then gives the opportunity on the, the value add and um, focusing resource and efforts onto that yeah and just out of interest do you have any measures that you use to assess how well the commercial side is working uh, like do, do you have kpis or way apart from obviously seeing the impact and seeing how engaged they are is is there anything that you see as a way of measuring that how how well a commercial team commercial finance team is operating um not measures, so to speak, in terms of um, outputs around success. I mean, we have different projects and that could be making something more efficient. It could be cost. And obviously you say, right, there's a goal there and measure against that. Um, and then it's as much as anything, it's, it's, it's feedback from... The operations board or the the other stakeholders around the business around that that partnering and making sure that that's happening and i think that's as that's almost the best measure for me is that is that feedback to say actually no that, that's working really well or actually we could do this better um because if the business is being supported from a financial perspective every Every ops board member knows that from a financial perspective, they're, they're in safe hands and the numbers are taken care of and they understand it, they understand the main messages and then they can go and focus on what they need to do, whether that be people, technology, operations, sales. No, absolutely. I, and and I, that feedback is, I think, really important when, you're, when you're, your main stakeholders really value your finance team for more than just the report they produce. That's a great sign of um, great sign of success. So yeah, absolutely. Sorry. That's all right. So obviously, you've been through a massive amount of change, and you're going through a massive amount of change. Sort of, how do you approach that? Are there any sort of tips that you could share with our audience um, around um, leading such a, a shift in how you're working? Um, big one is plan well. <laughs> Uh, I'm I'm always one where I'd like everything done yesterday. Um, so it's very much planning well. It's having those sessions, those brainstorming sessions, saying, right, these are all the things we want to go and do. This is why we're going to do them. Um, plot that through what that looks like on a timescale. Um, and allocate the tasks to people you, you've got to take the, the, the team need to, to come with you on the journey it's you can't do it all yourself um and it is a it's a massive team effort um and it's feedback to the team as well so we did the exercise end of august and we plotted through all the things we wanted to do in h2 and, and we did this session a couple of days ago 
and it was great because we went through and there might have been 30 things on there and, and they were subdivided into sort of four or five different categories and actually a number of items we put a green green tick through it was amazing and actually that gives a real sense of achievement and um the, the the team feels that and then we're going to feed it back to the wider team as well so that then helps say right okay well there are all the things we achieved in the last q3 q4 of last year now this is what we're going to aim to do in 2022 and and that feedback loop of where we're up to because again you set out time scales everyone knows things happen covid <laughs> acquisitions things happen so you got the best laid plans in the world but having being agile around it and being prepared to move things around and reprioritize or bringing a bit of flexible resource or whatever is so important but the, the way the way you get there from an agile perspective and and move things around is the buy-in from the team the flexibility from the team and it's that it's that communications is paramount absolutely i think people forget that it's and i love your approach to agile i'm a, a massive believer in agile generally in terms of approach to planning because the world just changes too quick for us to be planning you know so, you know, or sticking to the plans that we made three years ago. Can you imagine if you just followed the rule book during COVID? It would have been a very different scenario. Absolutely. I think I completely agree, absolutely agree. And I think, look, COVID has actually helped with that in terms of like, it's changed so much the last two years. And like I was just saying before Christmas that... And, no days you come into it you just don't know what's going to happen <laughs> and we've had to you have to respond because there's been it's, it's needs must at certain times and that's where just all the focus not from the finance team but the whole management team or um the wider team have had to focus just to make things happen and i i and i think back and that's probably happened to me sort of three or four times in my career as well because i remember the the financial crisis in 2007 and eight, and suddenly the, the banks were tightening on lending and suddenly again, that was a a big crisis from a financial perspective. Obviously not as wide, anywhere near as wide as COVID, but you have these these moments in your career. Um, I think it just really enforces that around the agility and you, you learn how to manage in, in crises. Yeah, it does, it, you know, uh, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger, I think is the quote, but it, it is very true. You, you get a, if you go through experiences like this, I do think it makes you think differently about, you know, how you work and what happens. And there was a really, on a previous episode, we had um, Patrick Dunn, he's written a book about boards and how they function, you know, how they function well. And he said one of the interesting things, because he's obviously chair of a few, is that they're, they're changing from a sat-nav world, from a maps world to a sat-nav world. So if we think about how we were driving, um, well, I don't know about you, I had an A to Z when I learned to drive. So I was sat there yeah, exactly. <laughs> trying to figure it out. And you had to plan your journey sort of before you started. Whereas now, obviously, we're reacting to Google Maps when we're driving. We're not actually figuring it out before we leave, which is quite interesting. Uh, that is interesting. It's, it's a good analogy. Like, I, I, I like that. Yeah, well, I, you know, for the youngsters, um, that probably doesn't make any sense because I don't think they, they know what an A to Z is. 
amount of seen it. But for me, it really brought home at like how different the last sort of 15 years have been in terms of data and what we have access to. Um, but yeah, what, what a shift. So obviously, so um, as much as I think we could, we could talk about going global, we could talk about culture, all sorts of things. But my final question for you today is, you know, obviously you're, um, you're new into role in that you've been there for eight, eight months now. Is that right? Have I got that nailed? Yeah. 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 Um, so if you, um, for those new CFOs that are starting, because there's a, there's a lot of shift there, what are your top tips for starting a new role? Yeah. Okay. So, um, plan, plan well, mm-hmm. um, understand get to understand the business take that time to understand the business and the people um it's probably the most critical thing so actually understand yeah the finances and the drivers of a business but actually get out and understand how the operations work how the sales team work why why what makes that business different to the others on the market what are those those the unique um, selling points that that business has and what makes it special. Once you understand that, you'll it'll help you massively on that journey. Um, so I think that'd be that'd be my biggest tip. After that, it is it's the it's the planning well and, and what what you want to do, particularly over the first sort of three six months and then twelve months, um, and in communication. So continue to communicate. Uh, both with the team, um, so that's finance team, but the the wider board and and management team around where you're up to, what you're planning on doing, and and, and being constructive about it as well. That's great, and uh, some great tips there on for for any new CFOs um, about to start their new role. So, thank you so much, Andrew, for coming onto the show. It's been an absolute blast, and it's been. I hope you know. I'm sure our audience have found it incredibly useful. So, if anyone wants to learn more about Money Penny and the awesome work that you guys are doing there, what's the best way to to find out more? Yeah, so go go on our go on our website, so moneypenny.co.uk. There's there's lots on there. Um, we, we were looking at this the other day, so we now support seven thousand clients in the UK and, and more actually. So, and um, we've got we've got a similar number in the US. So it's um, yeah, we're growing, we're growing all the time. So yeah, have a, have a look at, at what we do on, on there, and um, yes. Got all the cultural pieces as well and the special things we do for, for our people. Yeah, and I can um, say, so I regularly drive past the beautiful Moneypenny offices on the on the A483. But, you know, um, if you want to learn about people and culture, Moneypenny is an awesome way to start. And it certainly inspired me a lot when I first started out um, or 10, you know, 10 or so years ago. So thank you, Andrew, for coming on the show. And yes, um, really appreciate all of your, your insights um, an experience that you shared with us today. Brilliant. Thank you, Hannah. I've, uh, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. <laughs>